Welcome to Clobbercast, proudly presented to you from Clobbercall, all the way from Munich, Germany. Wait, Munich, Germany? Recorded live at Blue Zone International Trade Fair. Ben, Glenn, take it away. We finally made it. (laughs) (laughs) We got there. Not, Not one microphone was working three minutes ago. And now all the microphones are working, Lenny oh, Baby. Yeah, well, and it, like, it was too easy just to get it right, right first time. Uh, we tested in the office last week, everything was fine, I found you all excited, and then I've just had a meltdown for an hour. I said three minutes, it was more like half an hour. Um, but saying that, what are you, Ben? I turned up with a G singer. Yeah, which is nice free beer. So um, the sun's about coming out now. We've yeah. got our own private room. We're at yeah. Blue Zone, Munich. Um, it's stopped raining. It's exciting. It's good. You it's can good. believe it's that. Be a in good laugh, isn't it? <laughs> We're laugh. excited. Um, yeah, such a nice place. Everybody's nice. The vibe's nice. It is. Uh, yeah, it's all good. So we finally set up. Feeling loads, 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 loads more relieved now. Um, We're just going to kick out as much as we can. Yeah. We said that we were going to do loads of podcasts over the next couple of uh, days and just keep throwing them out, but to be honest, I think that we could just do like one big one for day one, one big one for day two, maybe. See how we get on. See, just I see think, how I think we, we get on. we need a few guests on, don't we, before yeah, we can. that's it. I'm feeling loads more confident now we're all set up and yeah, we've got us room and shit, so. Uh, Brill, so, uh, early start, weren't it, Ben? Early start. What time did you pick me up? Uh, 4.20? Yeah, well, I were up at half past three and then picked you up at 20 past four. Um, well, I was there at 20 past four. You got in car at 25 to five because you're probably <laughs> putting your red wings on. But I don't want to talk about it. I weren't bothered. Like, I couldn't have gone to a petrol station or, or grabbed a coffee or just had an extra 15 minutes in bed. I mean, it's not bothered me at all. Bastard. <laughs> so, it's good, but, though, because you showed me some new music, haven't we? Yeah. Ooh, we're in. Some new old music. <laughs> Some new old music. This, D- this guy that turns out is in every band that's ever existed yeah. in Rainbow, ages. Black Sabbath. <laughs> Just like a rainbow in the dark. Fucking brilliant, honestly. I was sending Liam it from our work yesterday. like, this is the right song. He's like, yeah, it's awesome. I've heard it before. Like, listen to this guy cover it. Listen to Slipknot cover it. Listen to this guy just sing it. Like, this is how to learn to sing it. Like, okay, I know everything about this song now. It's like, he's an interview with Dio before he died. God rest his soul. Like, yeah, but Glenn, it's just a fucking song from the 80s. It's like, yeah, but like a rainbow, rainbow in the dark. <laughs> so that got us through this morning anyway. So yeah. um, Security uh, were fun, weren't it? We all equipment. Oh, that were a nightmare, yeah. Uh, smuggling <laughs> smuggling four microphones uh, a massive mic stand that you'd probably get in Radio 1 uh, two laptops five sets of headphones and uh, <laughs> when you've both got loads of keychains chains uh, massive clobber cam uh, bands and more belts on and red wings each it were a bit uh, like fucking undressing a fucking donkey <laughs> like undressing buckaroo to get through Manchester <laughs> Uh, but we're here, aren't we? We're here. What's funny is it took twice as long to get back dressed. I know, I know, it took ages. And oh, then uh, when the uh, when the gentleman stopped me, we were like, uh, are you with the music guy? I was like, I don't know why he's American at this point. He's probably from Salford. <laughs> Delirium setting. Um, but yeah, like, are you with a music guy? And I turn around and Ben's it with like, this massive half a metre long microphone thing. You can excuse him for thinking so. Like, yeah, I'm with him, yeah, yeah. He went, ah, 
okay <laughs> walk on <laughs> right, cheers uh, but we're here uh, we've met the dudes from Holland yeah we've met Colin and Jason cool uh, really nice guys uh, bang on obviously we've seen Tom done a bit of an interview with him met Walter you met Walter I already know Walter did an interview yeah, with yeah. him Walter's and got exactly the same vintage worker on as me as well today he has except he hasn't got a placket over the buttons which you have yeah only I would notice such <laughs> yes you would <laughs> a weird little thing um, uh, so, so we've got loads to get through uh, so we don't need to do a 15 minute intro on what's happened in my life no because we're going to go and get Simon from Candy Army uh, so yeah, can you just give us a quick intro? I mean, yeah. I know we, Simon's going to tell us everything, but yeah, basically, go for, go for it. Simon works for a company called Candiani Mill. Candiani are based in Italy. Candiani produce denim. Uh, more importantly, to the podcast, they produce selvage denim, and that's all I really know about Candiani. Uh, I could. You know, I probably do know a little bit more, but I don't want to. I, I would like to sit down, and that's what makes a podcast tick. So I'm going to go and get Simon, see if he wants a drink. Uh, it was very nice of him to offer us lasagna and red wine, weren't it? Yeah, Around and he also said ago. he had an aubergine lasagna for me. For the vegetarians. <laughs> well, not just for me. <laughs> and loads of fucking cheese. There's as much cheese as what we are lying, Glenn, on the uh, way out of yeah, the street, you're just uh, saying. I don't know a very what well, best opening sentence to uh, mention to Tom from Denim Hunters, but I was like... Fucking hell, there's as much cheese here as there's denim. <laughs> you just started laughing and went, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and gummy bears. <laughs> right, Glenn, you're not taking this serious at all, are you? <laughs> uh, just mozzarella yeah. just everywhere. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. It's just wheels of cheese everywhere. from the ceiling. <laughs> crazy. Um, but yeah, really, really, really short intro today because we've got so much to get through. We are a bit behind schedule because we had a few issues getting in because... They didn't, they didn't know who we were. We had to show Ben's Instagram. <laughs> we got his press passes and now we're here. Um, but let's go and grab Simon and we'll literally be back in, uh, well, once it's edited as normal, like two seconds, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll look all about uh, Simon and his brand. I'll go and get him. Lovely. So we're back off and we have got the very sexy Simon from Candy Animals in Italy. How are we doing, Simon? Hi, guys. All there's, good. There's Thank an you. intro. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit different today because uh, we've actually got a guest opposite us and not on a phone. Exactly. So uh, that's nice. a nice change. Yeah. It's, it's a first. Yeah, this is a first. We've never interviewed anybody face to face. Oh, this makes it much easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, Simon, what we do on the podcast is we speak to people that we don't really know much about. Uh, so it's quite innocent. We don't get very deep because we don't know enough about it to get deep. Uh, very laid back. And. The one thing that we've never had on the podcast is somebody re- somebody representing an actual denim mill. So we thought this uh, Munich could be a really good opportunity for us to sort of, you know, scratch surface on how life at Candiani is. Uh, for anybody that's listening, I have already mentioned once, Candiani is a mill out in Italy. Uh, Simon, first question, what is your role within Candiani so we know who we're speaking to? Well, I'm in charge of the marketing for the mill, so global okay. marketing. Yeah. And uh, basically, we could speak just uh, for hours about what marketing means for a denim mill. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're on a business-to-business level. I mean, we're not making a consumer product. We're mm-hmm. making a product that we're selling to brands. Yeah. So, uh, so you make rolls. We make fabric. rows of fabric, that's right. So yeah. we basically, we, we buy raw cotton, yeah. we spin it into yarn, we dye it indigo or 
color something whatever or black it is. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We weave it together and then we finish it. So basically, um, we're vertical in the whole production. So mm-hmm. that is something that definitely um, allows you to, to innovate as well because you can tap into the different departments to make changes, innovations, like you know all the variables and everything. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely what distinguishes us being a um, renowned for the for the high quality actually mm-hmm. so but marketing at that point what does that mean you know because like we're living in a world where uh, most of the denim is um, is actually at very low price points right now so uh, mm-hmm. you may ask like how can we work with that mm-hmm. if we're based in Italy if we're making a high quality product so basically we're working with a, uh, a higher level of, uh, of clients um, higher level I mean it's like people who appreciate quality and make a higher positioned um, product in the market mm-hmm. so marketing at that point is um, is quite fun because like on one side you you uh, try to create a brand awareness for the mill and make it uh, recognizable for mm-hmm. uh, for a consumer being like a special ingredient mm-hmm. right so that's ingredient branding so mm-hmm. we have a uh, a little um, woven label that we supply to our customers that they can uh, stitch into their garments saying mm-hmm. like hey you know this garment is made with Kenyani fabric, made in Milan, Italy since 1938, pre Italian mm-hmm. denim, you know, and then you can even look it up and find some information about it if you want to dig deeper. And uh, so brand awareness is one thing, but as the market changed so, so f- quickly in the past 10 years, 10 to 15 years, actually, and as I mentioned before, like most of the sold denim is actually uh, at a lower price level mm-hmm. today. It's like, how can I explain that I'm doing something <coughs> special? Yeah. You know, how can I explain that this is something, it's worth a couple of bucks more? Mm-hmm. And so that's when marketing, um, I think this is the probably bigger m- part of my efforts, which is really trying to, uh, to supply with the fabric also all the information that our client needs to An education. educate their consumer. Mm-hmm. So first of all, um, I started like a training program five years ago at the mill. So basically it started with okay. uh, having the designers or merchandisers or buyers over. And uh, they were hard to get to, to, to get them to come to the mill because yeah. like, they're always busy, you know, they're yeah, traveling and everything. And yeah. yeah, what they're going to get from it. And as know. soon as, you know, I was able to get them there, um, <coughs> I had prepared like all these um, boards that explain you all the four departments because... It is very complex, but I always believed it's not rocket science, you know. There's mm-hmm. got to be a way to simplify that. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. And to make some, um, like a simple language that kind of explains you how you make denim, right? Mm-hmm. And so once you pass that on to them, they're like, whoa. I mean, I heard about sanitization before. I heard about <coughs> ring spinning before, but I never, you know, put all these terms like into a chronological order. And so basically they were fascinated and I think I, I gave them something, you know, that was useful for them. And through that I achieved also to bring, uh, I said like, why don't you bring in your sales guys? You know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, yeah. they're going through the world selling to stores and whatever that stuff. Maybe, maybe they want to know why it's special. Maybe that's going to help them to sell. And so I started to get in groups of salespeople and um, five years later, I mean, we have groups of 50 to 70 people of uh, store people, store mm-hmm. staff. Yeah, actually yeah. visiting the mill. Yeah, yeah, coming to the mill. We do like a whole structured training program, like for one or two days. And on the on the training program, um, 
I'm guessing it's a mixture of two, but you can answer this, Simon. Would it would it be educating people on the great things that you guys do, or would it be more on the bad things that the lesser people do? Oh, let's say that we we're not. Hey, really we've got a wasp. Get out of here. You actually just ate that wasp got it. live on the podcast. Wait a minute. Nice. I'm just going to get out of wind to be fun. <laughs> Let's carry on. <laughs> it's going to go. It's nah, gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Okay. We just got an interruption. It's, it's, it's not messing with a northern lad. I need more beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, would that be an education on the bad things that the other people do? Or would it be the great things that you do? Nah, or would it be a mixture of both? We definitely don't want to point a finger at anybody. We don't think okay. that's the way to kind of like make you look cool or better. No, I mean, no. That, it just generally sucks if you talk bad about anyone else, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so yeah. in order to make you, to put you in a situation to make your own choice, I need to give you a background. I need mm-hmm. to explain you. That's why, you know, I got to train you about denim in order that mm-hmm. you see what it takes and what it needs and how then we implement certain uh, technologies or certain uh, ingredients whatever where you can then also ask questions to other suppliers to other brands how do you cope with that how do you cope with that so it's just trying to 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 raise a general awareness about like how complex it is to make it and also give you some questions in order to make a, a more conscious uh, choice when you when you buy something mm-hmm. and also give put, putting you in a situation to to make your own evaluation if it's worth the money you're spending or not, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that is what I would want to know. I wouldn't want to be told like this is good and this is bad. Okay. I would be. I would want to be given some tools in order to make my own decisions. So that's course. what we're trying to do. So of basically, course. it starts with like first, it's like a whole uh, part regarding denim history, right? Mm-hmm. We gotta start from you know when the first denim fabrics were made, actually in Italy, like in the in the uh, 1600s in Chieri, which is close to Torino, then from there it went to Genova. In Genova, the sailors used it for uh, whatever. Actually, it was cloth to cover the frights on boats and ships okay, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And then it was very resistant, so they made also garment out of that. And then from there it shipped to England, and from England it shipped actually to Nîmes, to France first, to England. The English would say, oh, from Genova, it's like uh, Gen de Gen, you know, the French said de Gen and it said our jeans or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. then it got to the States and whatever. I mean, useless that I tell you guys about this. So, I mean, <laughs> you know that already, but, but then people we, listening won't know, man. Well, there's a lot that you can yeah, look up. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's the, even just the definition, the word jeans comes from Genova, from yeah. the Italian town Genova. Yeah. Uh, denim comes from the French town Nîmes. Nîmes means yeah. Nîmes is from yeah. Nîmes. It's like where they grew all the indigo fera. Mm-hmm. Actually, most of the indigo fera that was used then in Italy to dye actually those fabrics indigo was coming from Nîmes. So that's mm. the connection between jeans yeah, and yeah. the denim fabric and uh, Genoa and um, and Nîmes. It, it was a workwear fabric that 1872 Levi Strauss and uh, Jacob Davis they patented that five pocket jean yeah. and it stayed a workwear fabric um, pretty much till the Second World War when even women in the um, in the could work in factories actually mm-hmm. to produce weaponry for the military industrial complex and for them it was like this the symbol of independence you know they. They, they had a salary. They could work for the first time. Yeah. They could wear denim. So they wanted to keep wearing it even after the World War in order to state their, their new position in society. And um, their kids, the baby boomers, are called baby boomers because their parents both had an income for the first time. 
so they had right. more money to spend. Yeah. At that point, Levi's didn't need to make any workwear jeans anymore, but casual wear because those kids were going to school, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it was workwear, casual wear, and then up to the 70s, it stayed pretty much the same product. 100% cotton, rigid, warp and weft. And uh, in the 70s, like a couple of designers, um, like Elio Fiorucci, François Bujerbeau, they said, hey, we're doing pret-a-porter, but we've never used denim, you know? We're doing all these like patterns and like nice designs and everything and fits. So let's try to use denim. So they started using denim. There's these beautiful pictures like in the uh, 70s, it's disco culture, right? So there's this woman, she's trying to get into these bell button, 100% uh, rigid denim, like two men helping her to yeah. slide in. It's, really, it's like, yeah, torture. And um, and the, the designer jean was born. Like a McKean uh, designer jean would retail for sixty eight bucks in New York compared to like a ten bucks Levi's at that time. You know, I'm okay. talking seventies. Yeah, yeah. So the next step was um, quite obvious. They said, like, hey, we got to soften up this fabric because this is cool, but it's mm -hmm. not comfortable, right? Yeah, so yeah. they threw it into washing machine with some balls <coughs> and whatever, and just and just beat the fabric. So you soften yeah. it up, right? Mm -hmm. And then some guys like Adriano, and that was in the 80s, Adriano mm -hmm. Goldschmidt and, mm -hmm. uh, and his papils, Renzo Rosso, and everyone, they said, like, hey, you know what? Actually, like a broken-in denim, like a worn-down denim, looks so much cooler and more rock and roll than a, than than a, a raw one, denim, right? Yeah, than a yeah. raw one. So let's just replicate that worn-in look yeah, artificially yeah. by washing in the laundry. So after the designer gene... They got the wash, right? So it was designed in the 70s, washed in the uh, 80s, and then in the 90s, while Candiani was, uh, thanks to Gianluigi Candiani, lucky enough to be one of the first mills to come up with a good-looking stretch denim fabric. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you had... And that came in the 90s. That came in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Basically, we got a call from LA because we were, we were working already with, with, uh, with Adriano at that time and other guys from the industry. Um, he moved to LA and he calls he's like hey I need a fabric that stretches you know I need to dress a woman differently more sexy and you know, all that and so uh, basically Gianluigi started to experiment around with that and there was just like two or three mills like experimenting around with that and it was really hard wow. because it was looking like a, like a mop you know it was looking really mm. cheap and, mm -hmm. and bad and whatever and there were a couple <coughs> of changes that he did like when it comes to spinning just like very shortly there is ring spinning or open end spinning at that mm -hmm. time everyone was open end spinning which gave you that really flat look and he went back to ring spinning which is the more traditional way of spinning that's how we started in 1938 but mm -hmm. we also went to open end spinning and then he decided to go back because ring spinning allowed him to make a core spun stretch yarn with an authentic denim look yeah, what yeah. Would you, what, just very briefly for people listening what would be the difference between a ring spun and an open I'm not gonna explain the technology how it works because like I, I need you to make a drawing for forever. That. <laughs> yeah yeah of course yeah yeah but if you want to come check it out on the 8th of October we're doing an open mill day yeah so then, then you month. can see it yeah. in if people want to want to come just okay. drop an email you yeah. know. Is, is there somewhere online Simon that people could find out a little more information as well I'm sure if they google for it they will find yeah, it yeah yeah cool. yeah they, they, they'll find it what it looks like but the main difference is like in the yarn Okay. Is yeah. that basically, if you think about your grandma when you saw her spinning on a wheel, or your yeah, great-grandma, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. So that's the basic concept of taking some fibers and then uh, twisting them together, right? Mm -hmm. That is what ring spinning does. 
Yep. It actually takes the fibers, first combs them out, parallelizes them, smoothens them out, because mm -hmm. you gotta use the whole length of the fiber. And then you twist them together mm -hmm. and you decide how thick you wanna make that yarn. And with ring spinning, the main characteristic was that the frame, the machine itself, has a natural vibration, it, it, it operates on the yarn, and that vibration pokes the yarn every once in a while and makes it an irregular yarn mm -hmm. and not yeah. an even yarn. Okay. So the jean, once you either wear it down or you wash it down, it will always come alive mm. and have like a certain depth, right? Yeah. yeah. An open end, and it is a more resistant yarn, open end um, was invented basically around the 40s or 50s, I think, when the demand for denim was exponentially rising. They came up with a new spinning technology, which could produce 10 times as much yarn in the same amount of time. And it was cheaper, much yeah, cheaper. Okay. So they said like, wow, this is for volume production, right? Yeah, yeah. And it made a very even yarn. And they said like, whoa, we just cracked it, you know? Yeah, we get an even yarn, it's faster, it's cheaper, it's better. Revolutionary. Right? Revolutionary. Time, yeah. mm. To make an example, I think everyone that is listening can think about the 1980s 501 Levi jean, all right? Yep. The one that's been so popular lately, Ever all right? Since, Salt yeah. and pepper. All, all the women are wanting to wear them. Right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, think about it. If you look at that jean, it has a like a marble kind of effect, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's the same effect all over the whole jean. Yeah. You don't have highs and lows. No, mm -hmm. You just no, have no. the same effect of the overall jean because open end just washes down in the same way of, on the whole jean. Mm. With ring, it comes alive differently. <coughs> yeah. Right, so you have highs and lows, you have different uh, hues, you have um, points of more distress and less distress. So it's yeah. a different aesthetic, right? Mm -hmm. More um, what we call the authentic denim look. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So okay. basically, um, when Gianluigi decided to go back to ring spinning, everybody th thought he was crazy. He was nuts because like, we were obviously also growing as a company, yeah, you know, yeah. and we're just full on getting orders and everything and he's mm -hmm. like slowing down the production because he's going back to ring spinning yeah yeah what are you doing but he said like no guys we need the aesthetic of an authentic denim again like we used to do at the beginning and this is going to allow us also to make a stretch yarn so okay. this really um, catapulted us like 10 years ahead you know because like really it's almost like that business thing where you seem like you're taking one step back, but it puts you 10 steps forward. That is exact. And that yeah, is yeah. something very risky. That's a risk yeah. that an emperor takes yeah. if he has a vision. And matter of fact, at that time, everybody thought, well, you know what? Stretch is going to be just a trend. It's going to last a couple months, a year, and a couple seasons. Jesus. <laughs> just yeah. revolutionize well, the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. changed. Completely. So <coughs> this is actually what distinguishes Kadiani, for example. We're always trying to go forward but we're cherishing the past. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to combine our, um, our practices like, and the look, the authenticity, you know, for example, with the latest innovation and performance. Mm -hmm. For example, um, I'm sure that most of, of the people listening would appreciate our salvage denim range, which is uh, mostly uh, rigid, but we also have some stretch salvages and we call them actually the fake rigids mm. because it's, it's like, it's like driving a Ford Mustang, like a 1967 Mustang, which has ABS, it has um, airbags, it yeah, has, yeah. you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. all that innovation that makes you, you know, gives you the comfort and the safety that to you need yeah, yeah, today, yeah. you know? So it's basically updating like the vintage car with what you need today. With modern yeah, parts. Yeah. So <laughs> what, can you, uh, could you, 
In fact, just really quickly, we don't need to go into this too much, but I think this will be an important question because it's, it's an interesting conversation. What was your journey into Candiani? So, you know, where were you born? Just quickly, what did you do oh, at college? Right. You know, how did you end up at Candiani? Uh, you can keep it as brief as you want, but just so people understand who we're listening to a little bit. Ah, I had, I had oh, a, unless you were in prison. And then, I had then lots of different lives, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a good one, right? <laughs> actually, uh, I, no, I started off... Um, I, I studied industrial design. So I'm actually from the northern part of Italy. It's uh, in the Alps, in the Dolomites, where you go to ski. So yeah, it's yeah, actually been in there. the mountains. Yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. from France. I feel like I can tell an American twang, though. I feel like you've got, like, a bit of an American accent in there, so although it's blatantly You're, you're forcing me to tap even even further back. <laughs> <laughs> so I was when I was a kid, I was so into skateboarding. It was not yeah. even funny. Yeah. Uh, but at that time, like, the place I'm from is sort of like Heidi Land. Right, okay. You couldn't buy any skateboards there. You couldn't buy any magazines. You couldn't buy anything. Like in Italy, they wouldn't supply it. We're talking 92, kind of. 90, okay. 92. Yeah. And so basically, like uh, one of our friends, he had a. I don't know how he got that. Probably like during a vacation or something. He got a Thrasher magazine. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So he comes back with Thrasher magazine, and uh, there was an ad about a uh, small company in America that would ship boards and uh, like skateboards and whatever. And so we called from his place. We didn't even speak English. Mm-hmm. You know? We call and we're like, um, place an order. And the stuff arrived and we looked like aliens, basically, like in that town. But it was it was still, you know, if you think back, that pleasure of researching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Researching, finding, getting, mm-hmm. and then wearing it till the very end. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. like it's really, it was hard to get it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is something that relates also to what I'm doing Denim, today. Exactly, you know, Denim, exactly. It's the perfect. It's, the it's exactly the yeah, same. Yeah. It's it's. Our, our, for our generation, that. I'm 38 years old. For mm-hmm. our generation, it's a little bit. We're a bit more used to that because it was mm-hmm. hard to get stuff back mm-hmm. in yeah, the yeah. days, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Big style. In music and in apparel and mm. gear, generally speaking, right? So, we had to do that effort, and the more you did an effort, the more you enjoyed. Of course, the more you, you appreciated it, it, the you more you'd worked for it, you'd yeah. earned it almost. I had you know, t-shirts like, I wore until they they turned from like black to white, yeah. like literally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Everything was gone. Mm. And so, well, th- that was just very quickly. So basically, mm. I'm from, uh, so English was always like, you know, we were always looking at America. The skateboarding was in America, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. video magazines were coming like, like VHS, you know, we got VHS tapes of skateboarding and whatever and so English was definitely a priority to learn in mm-hmm. order to go there when when I was 17 I went over there the first time to skateboard actually so cool okay yeah. California obviously <laughs> <laughs> well that's just like, a holiday two weeks skateboarding we met with my best mate we said yeah. like, we have to go no yeah matter, no matter what it's happening put together the money we went over there yeah and we find ourselves like in the middle of nowhere outside of San Diego and in front of a hydrant and we were yeah. just like worshipping this hydrant red hydrant you know? yeah. so we were trying to all eat that hydrant yeah. for, like, look the that guy's week. holding a cheeseburger <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna even tell you about our experiences with tips well <laughs> <laughs> like you're guaranteed like, to mess up first time round <laughs> yeah, no doubt disaster, total yeah. disaster I once tried paying for drinks in a casino they left me out of it <laughs> <laughs> No, so, so how, how did you like obviously the American influence but how, did, did you you must have studied marketing as well as 
No, I studied industrial design in okay. Milan. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, it was product design and and um, communication design, which means at that time it was like learning how to make a website, doing graphics for prints and uh, mm -hmm. <coughs> motion graphics and all that kind of stuff. It was really, really cool. And uh, so um, with other two mates of mine, while we were studying at university, we opened our first company and it was a design studio, basically. Cool. So we were designing from... Yeah, short, short movies to motion graphics to um, to prints for for actually big brands because our our teachers at school they they saw that and they said they, they saw that we were actually really uh, on it and so they they kind of made us work for their clients. Mm -hmm. All right. So from the first moment now, we could work for Microsoft or Red Bull or whatever. That was mm -hmm. really cool, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or we designed some coffee machines and uh, for Italy and um, and do you know when you go to the airport and you have those MMMs kind of puppets? You know MMMs, you know, M M the sweets. Yeah, the sweets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, you know, get at the, the airport, you get the puppets and yeah, they do yeah, stuff the, and yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 so yeah. We made pretty much ninety percent of them. Oh, cool. right, really. yeah. <laughs> all the positions doing all the sports and all that kind of stuff <laughs> that's cool and uh, well I'm gonna be a bit faster about that right now so and uh, and then I happened so I, I we had our studio and then I started to to design clothing I had an opportunity actually from a Brazilian company to design a collection for Europe and um, and so I started doing that and it was really successful so I started to it became actually my job to to design clothing and uh, I did that for most of my of my life and uh, I was traveling actually between uh, Brazil Spain and Germany because I had clients in those countries and uh, all of a sudden I said like hey I want to spend some more time in Milan because I started a project in nightlife it was called diedlastnight.com actually okay and, <laughs> and it was basically <laughs> We have a couple of clubs in Milan, and uh, the people who create the fashion, the people who design fashion, they go there. They go out there, right? Yeah, yeah. So you have the latest music, and um, and obviously they're like shining. I mean, they, they wear like whatever the craziest stuff they have, right? And so for me, it was doing research there for my you know fashion design. So mm -hmm. I would take my camera and just take pictures, mm -hmm. and uh, and then I. It was always a party situation, so it was Cross. party and it was uh, you know good when time in, and when in real, clothing and oh my god, networking. I was officially networking. <laughs> These days you'd have been Instagramming. I honestly, I honestly, I really believed that I was doing something useful to justify that I was out every night. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay, so. I believe you already. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, we're preaching to convert to the Apple. <laughs> it's fine. And so I published the pictures on this website called. Uh, it was a blog. Yeah, it was yeah. Yeah, Dietless yeah. because blogs were born at that time. So dietlessnight.com and uh, MySpace boomed. Yeah, yes. yeah, MySpace. So yeah, God. And so I remember the first month, like everyone was like, "Who the fuck are you? You know, why are you taking pictures of me?" And I was like, "Well, sorry, man. I'm just like, it's uh, you're looking cool, man. Yeah, Whatever. that's why I take a picture." Yeah. And uh, by the way, you can check him out on Dietless Night, you know, and they're like, oh, Dietless Night. Oh, well, that's not so bad. It sounds yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty badass. So, 
and everybody wanted that their picture to use it as a profile picture in MySpace. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it just boomed. Like, wow. wow. What, a brilliant, out, uh, what a brilliant story. It went out of hand. You yeah. know? So basically, <laughs> Nike knocks on the door and says, like, hey, let's make a collaboration. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> wow. And then Diesel and then uh, Ralph Lauren, that's how I met my wife. Yeah. Um, You're not way, married to Ralph Lauren, eh? Sorry? You're not married to Ralph Lauren. Um, no, <laughs> if, if I could, I probably would. Uh, <laughs> That's well, a brilliant story. And, uh, brilliant. That was like for five years. It was literally like um, after a year and a half, I couldn't, I couldn't take pictures anymore. I couldn't go out anymore. I was like, all right, I'm done, man. Like because I had my day job, right? I, okay. mean, I was, ah, I was still, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. still designing. You know, it was like a full time hardcore Jesus. job. And uh, and then there was this guy, and he's like, hey, man, you know, like it's so cool. Like you know, I'm also into photography, you know. And I was like. So why don't you take, you know, a couple of pictures tomorrow night? And he's like, what, really? And I was like, I didn't even realize that it was mm. so, how people would see Die Last Night. It was mm. actually, mm. you know, the, it was actually, if, if I would say we're going out there tonight, people would cut there. Mm. You know, it would just That's because people wanted the picture taken probably but it was a good music was always there a good vibe you know yeah. so, so the, there were multiple reasons so to go. you almost created like a bit of a scene yeah there you was like a were big the original influencer nah, <laughs> I think it was like I put together the people who were the influencers ah. you know and all the people who kind of like were doing something yeah. in that scene okay, okay we yes, gathered okay. all together we had the DJ we had the, the magazine guy yeah. we had this and that you know like and and, and there was always a good party, a mm-hmm. good vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and um, the good thing is like, I think the pictures that I could capture were great because I was having a great time in the first place. Of course, I see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it yeah, wasn't yeah. forced. It wasn't staged. No. It was just like bang. This is you what have I want to do. Time, people bang. have a good time around you, and, and what you shoot is just a consequence, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. And so basically, like, I ended up six years later with like fifteen photographers, like, covering up the whole nightlife, and uh, Shit. yeah, and um, we would do also London and Paris and, uh, and collaborations. But then, you know, there was a the question: Should I make it become a full-time job? It sounds like a full-time job already. It was, man. It was just like every night and weekends was working on that thing, you know. So and, um, this is interesting then. So did you make it full-time? Job? No, I decided not to because like at the end of the day, like I wanted to keep the night as like something I decide to do if I want to do it and it has to be fun, you know. Mm. If could it you becomes not, a job. Could you not see the financial benefit then? Yeah, but you know, dealing with the night, dealing with like all the DJs and dealing with all the club owners and dealing mm-hmm. with like all fashion houses and you know, that's a big It's headache. fucking hard work. I, on a much, big, much, big on a much smaller scale, I used oh, to yeah. run a little club night just in our sort of like local area and I had to work two night shifts once properly in a proper club and I just pretty much get it up in two weeks because I just knew that I didn't have it. You know, like I didn't even do it for a bit. I didn't even no. do it for a party. Do you know, like, I were doing it for a party when it was small. And then when it grew a little bit, I was just like, this isn't for me. Do you know, like, I don't want to... It's wanna, really unsociable hours. And I'm guessing in those, in like, me when I'm at work, I can hide behind a screen or an email sometimes. But there, I'm guess you just... You're almost on stage all the time. Yeah. You're just right. in. You, right. You've got to be on point all and the time. And it only works if you're on stage. Yeah, 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 so yeah, exactly. As long as you're doing it with, you're on this natural high to do that, it works perfectly. But mm. you know that sooner or later, you want to have a kit, you want, you know, yeah, you want to yeah, stay at want, home, you yeah, want to just, yeah, you know, yeah. Maybe, send other people. Yeah. And even if we were, we selected good people, good photographers yeah. and everything, it's just, you know, the personality makes everything yeah. when you're working at night. 
know? Yeah, because yeah. Because they come to your party when you did it because it was you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's it. It's, it's still a bit like that with Star, to be honest. It's like... We do get that. Yeah, it's I still a bit like that. You get that in yours. Oh, they listen to your podcast because it's you guys. Maybe, I don't know. But it's, you know, like, I completely understand that. But it sounds like you had such a monster. Yeah, sometimes I think back and maybe... That must have been difficult but. It sounds like you were probably quite young at the time, though. Uh, I was 20, yeah, from 25 till 30. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. still young. Just sort of like learn how to delegate them but you know what? Like I have, I have, I have so many pictures. Mm. It's like, I don't know how many thousands of pictures mm. and I definitely want to make a book. Yeah, later, yeah, for sure. Which is going to be like a Oop. retrospective of Milan from 2005 mm. to 2010, kind of nightlife yeah, yeah. and what was going on. And I think that is going to be what I'm going to take out of it, you know, and enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Who's, the, enjoy. Uh, who's the most famous person that came to one of your parties, Simon? Oh man, uh, um, Gianfranco Zola. <laughs> <laughs> Should I just yeah like uh, whatever name? Oh, like, yeah, uh, Fabrizio Carisi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was uh, once there was um, oh my god I forgot the name. What is the lead singer of REM? Oh mm. yeah, the guy with the bald head, yeah. Michael Stripe. He was just like there dancing on dance floor. It's like, is, is, did he just come to our party? Yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> like, but there was Michael a Stripe. lot of you know there was a lot of people from. Uh, from, from the fashion scene come and so you would have everyone from Riccardo Tisci like I mean they would just yeah. bring their friends or there was Milan Fashion Week we were mm -hmm. in every backstage we were in every party basically mm -hmm. that was kind of linked to that mm -hmm. Marcelo Burlon is this guy who's having his own brand right now and okay. he was actually the PR uh, that was making a lot of stuff happening you know and, mm -hmm. and so there was there was a lot of well how does that bridge into your placement at Candiani then well, first of all, um, it was uh, it was boosting a lot the understanding about trend, fashion, and uh, the most interesting thing that I took away from that last night was actually how it allowed me to study the time to market of mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting to your question in a second. Yeah, time course. to market was for me the most fascinating thing because I always wondered, how is it that we're all like wearing a purple sweater right now? Who the fuck yeah. decided that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How yeah, was yeah, that yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. who had that? Or why do we crop our jeans now? Yeah, yeah. Jesus. We just had them, you know, cuffed up or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, in that night scene, it's, it happened. People would just experiment, just try stuff. But there mm. would always be one of the things that would start to prevail. At a yeah. certain point, um, there is a, there is a, an eyewear company from Milan called Super, Retro Super Future. And they were also friends of this uh, scene, and, um, and they started off making um, sunglasses, like the uh, Wayfarer, the Raven Wayfarer, mm -hmm. but like colored, right, in different colors. Yep. Imagine it was like the time when uh, there was like a, a transition from like indie rock and roll to more electronic music, mm -hmm. colors got kind of fluo, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we started to listen to Happy Mondays again. It was like, you know, a, a new rave culture kind of starting. So this yeah, would be yeah. like the early We're notice. talking about 2006, seven, yeah. kind okay. of. And yeah. um, we invited Stevie Aoki to play in Milan, like it was 100 people. Yeah. He was the buddy of my buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. things changed from back then, yeah, yeah, clearly. But um, so this guy says like, hey, you know, I got a couple of shades, you know, do you want to wear them? I was like, dude, I'm not wearing shades in the night. You know, it kind of looks like like a douche yeah <laughs> but they're actually kind of cool you know what like, we're just gonna wear them you yeah know? and 
and then all of a sudden like it kind of spread you know it was like if you would go out in those nights and somebody would have something cool you're like hey i want that too you know it, it was kind of like uh we're part of this like whatever crew here you know all meeting up in you know different places with the mm -hmm. same people every time so we kind of like have some things that we recognize mm -hmm. ourselves in mm -hmm. or with and so they kind of became very popular in that scene and then you saw it tickle down to the market until um the two years later five pound in a exactly years later, you know, like like five years later you would find them like on every uh yeah. market you know basically on a on a little booth you know for yeah. two bucks it's, it's, like it's really funny that you say that because uh, <clears throat> not to digress too much when i think about fashion i always think so take the perfecto jacket i'm wearing a perfecto jacket today actually which is a good example of what i'm going to say but it's almost like six ten years ago the perfecto jacket came back and it was cool everybody wore it and now your grandma wears one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you get what I mean? It's like yeah. it does. It starts at top, and then it it, it goes from yeah. kid to the parent mm. to the grandparent, and then it's done. <laughs> there's That's definitely it. there's definitely like a cycle in that, and I yeah. was always mm. interested in knowing like how does that work? Because like mm. if you it, because I said if mm. I want to work in fashion, I might as well have to know how that works, you know? Yeah. Because otherwise, like I'll never sure. kind of. How did you get to that then? How did you find out how that works? Well, it um, it led me to. Um, I worked as a consultant for different years because mm -hmm. some people just uh, liked what I was doing. I said like, hey dude, I, I got some money, want to make a brand, you know, I don't, mm -hmm. don't know where to start. And this is very fascinating because you get to work a 360 degree set on that brand, you mm -hmm. know, you gotta first of all understand what do we want to do, you know, what mm -hmm. kind of product are we talking about? Are we talking about a denim? Are we talking about a blazer jacket? Are we talking mm -hmm. about a mm -hmm. shirt? And it was definitely the moment where we would say, let's not think about a total look. Now let's think about one thing that you can make very well and better than the others. Right? Is more. Pick one item, right? <laughs> uh -huh. So uh, one of the <coughs> projects was pretty interesting. Those two guys that actually asked me to uh, to join them were extremely rock and roll dudes. You know, they had quite good fellowship on, on, on Facebook, and uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> they were just. <laughs> They were just really cool, and so I said, "You guys don't worry about the product. They tried to design the product themselves. Said, you don't worry about that. You just go and rock it outside. You know, yeah. just you're gonna be the communication. Yeah, you know? yeah. We don't need to spend money on that." So I picked. Uh, I said, "Let's make a blazer, a blazer jacket, because blazer jacket is an evergreen, and we need a little bit shorter, a bit more rock and roll, a bit something that you want to wear. You know, that I would want to wear, yeah. not a traditional blazer jacket." You yeah. know? Mm -hmm. And on top, there was the uh, inner lining. You could actually unbutton it and mm -hmm. use it as a scarf. And it had different prints. Every jacket, it was a basic item, one jacket with 20 different prints that you could pick from, right? On okay. the inside. On the inside. And yep. you could wear it actually around your, and around your neck. You could pull up the lapels, and then mm -hmm. you had little holes here, put it through. So it was a jacket technically that you could wear to go to work. And then you would go out to do the aperitivo, as we used to do in Italy, and mm -hmm. go for drinks, and you just turn it into a fashion item, mm -hmm. right? But it was bound to motorcycles, it was bound to rock and roll, so it was not like a a fancy thing, it was like more of a edgy kind of yeah, cool yeah, thing, cool. right? Mm -hmm. So you're trying to uh, create uh, the brand, the product production, the production was always made in Italy, because I firmly believe that I want to be in control of the production, and I want to know um, what I'm selling mm -hmm. to customers, and um, yeah, that was pretty pretty interesting. And and I kept experimenting around with marketing in the sense that, for example, when you do a brand, 
um, you presented, at least in Italy we were used to do that, we presented at Pitti, which is the trade show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which means that I presented in January, I present the fall collection, right? Yeah. That I would ship to the store probably in August. But then yeah. in June, I have already the next Pitti, yeah, right? Yeah. And I have to present the summer collection. So the shop comes back to see the collection. He bought, let's say, the winter collection, mm-hmm. but then he has to buy the summer collection without Bef- having even received sold the winter collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I before even having tried to sell the winter yeah, collection. So I he doesn't know that. how your brand performs, yeah. how it works, right? So we say, Comprare al buio, which means you have to buy um, blindly, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Blindly, you know, yeah. the, the next season. And so we came up with the delivery tour. We said, like, right before Pitti, we pick like the 10 coolest shops in, uh, in Italy. And we tell them that we're going to actually deliver with our van. We're going to deliver their pieces that they ordered for the, for the winter collection. And we're gonna have a DJ set in their store and we're just gonna gather some people and whatever. And during those events, they would sell more than half of the collection they ordered or the pieces they ordered. So, so and you obviously then have they would, information. So they yeah. would rebuy the winter collection and and buy heavily into the summer collection. Oh. So this is like when you have to play with a system that is very consolidated. Mm-hmm. Very structured. Very structured. Yeah. And it's no longer paying off if you are mm. young and uh, really you don't have like big money to invest. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. you got to be smart about it. Try your things. It's creating you know, and have that fun buzz. With it. Yeah, yeah. Creating that buzz. Well, that's right. And then there was one project that was um, that was definitely uh, my favorite project. It was like uh, another brand that I launched actually, and and. It was basic clothing, like American apparel. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. But it was all made in Italy, right? Okay. And the distribution was oriented to very high-end stores that would sell Saint Laurent and uh, Balenciaga and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Because in those stores, somebody walks in, buys you know, a $500 shirt, a, uh, sorry, 500 euro shirt, um, you know, Saint Laurent jeans and whatever, but then he's looking for a white t-shirt. Where's the white t-shirt? Uh, I mm-hmm. just need, you know, a pair of sweatpants or, yeah, yeah. you know, it's whatever, a jumper yeah, yeah. or something yeah, yeah. like that. And so I was actually creating a, we call it a product of service, a service product, right? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, you just yeah, add yeah. that on. So you make it like very top quality, you wrap it nicely, you communicate it nicely. Actually, the communication was totally based on the people in the factory. The people in the factory were interviewed and they were actually like presenting the product and saying like, you know, She's like the, uh, she was the um, Maestra Caposarta, so she was the, the head of the, um, of the uh, stitching department of all the ladies who were stitching. This guy was the head of the coloring department and whatever. So it was like a real story, a true story, mm-hmm. wrapped in a fancy way for a fancy store for um, a fair um, value for money. And it worked. It definitely cool. worked. But to launch that brand, I said, the main thing about this brand is made in Italy. Basic and made in Italy, right? Yeah, yeah. So I made a temporary store for three days in Milan and uh, when you would walk into the store, you had six tables on the left side and six tables on the right side. And basically on each table, I, I had picked a, uh, a crew neck sweater and I had just, um, how do you say, I had um, broken it into pieces. So you okay, would have yeah. on one table, you would have the left arm 12 mm-hmm. colors and yeah. you would have the right hand uh, right arm in 12 colors and you would yeah. have the left cuff 12 colors and and so on so every okay. piece that composes a sweater yeah. was there in 12 colors 
So the people came in, they could pick the colors that they wanted to make one sweater. So you and could do a cuff and a sleeve differently in the body. And on the stage at the end, there was mm -hmm. our tailor and she would stitch it together for you right away, like in 15 minutes. And you would walk away with your customized sweater. We're talking 2008, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was just so easy, man. Mm. Like my buddy in, Austra in Australia, they said, too easy. It's too easy, man. <laughs> it was just, you know, they would walk in and say, like, can I really do that? And it's like, yeah. So they did it. They would get their sweater. I would take a Polaroid picture, hang it on the wall, and then make a contest online at the same time. The people would vote which one they would prefer. And then we put that in production with the name of the person who actually made yeah, the customization. Yeah. So it's like involving the consumer, but also giving them, uh, making them part of the production process and making them understand what's behind it, you know, mm -hmm. like the manufacturing part and everything. And it was just, Clever. Um, then I did the tailor tour. It was so fun that we did a tailor tour. So we picked the best shops in Italy and I took a pickup truck, put that, sewing machine on the back and uh, the tailor in, uh, was sitting right beside me and I would drive through Italy <laughs> <laughs> to set up that thing like in every store and uh, and it was always a great success because uh, the store, it was a win-win situation. The store had like all their customers over, they could customize their thing. Each store could pick like a color set. Mm -hmm. So if you would wear whatever a sweater that was like purple, yellow and blue, then it was from Verona. Mm -hmm. From uh, actually from... Um, Double five Verona, mm -hmm. which was the store. It has like its yeah. name embroidered here. If you would have another set of colors, it was Flo Firenze. Yeah. You know, so it was kind okay. of like also giving each one his own, you know, identity yeah. or let yeah, them yeah, play yeah, yeah. and pick and choose. And it was fun. So what happens after that experience, basically, Alberto Candiani calls me and says, like, hey, dude, we got to go to, um, I got to go to. Um, so Mr. Candiani called you. Yeah. Did you say, yeah, okay. Yeah, I met him. Uh, I had met him before because he was dating the roommate of my ex-girlfriend. Okay. So we met and at their place, just, you know. Yeah, it's like you're, you're, yeah. your, you're, your girlfriend's, you're <laughs> yeah. girlfriend's place, right? Yeah. And she has a roomie. Yeah, yeah. You walk go, out of yeah. the room, you go to, to yeah. the bathroom, and there's a dude standing there, right? <laughs> and you're like, hey, what's up? You know? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so we had a beer, and so that's how we met, basically. Yeah. Cool. Got it. And so, how long have you been with the, the company now? Seven years. Seven, seven years. years, yeah. But we met, we met at least twelve years ago or something like that. So, what are you able to take? Because your history is really interesting. Uh, lots of points. I mean, that could be another podcast in itself. To be honest with you, what skills from that time of you, you know, doing your own thing, can you apply? To that was exactly what I was coming to. Yeah, that took and he calls me and he says like, hey. I saw what you did with the sweaters and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you guys remember Bread and Butter, the trade show? Yeah, yeah. There's still a Bread and Butter, but at that time it was run by Karl Heinz Müller, the founder, which was actually big airport, weren't it, in Berlin? Sorry. Were it at the big airport in Berlin? Yeah, the, big, the Tempelhof. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. <coughs> that was the go-to show. I mean, those guys were those guys Karl-Heinz Müller and his team they were incredible because like they were the first ones to turn a trade show into literally Studio 54 yeah like an event weren't it? An event. Full on like event, yeah. we guys we I'm saying like everyone who was designing something or working in brands was desperate to go into bread and butter if you wouldn't go there if you haven't been there you're nobody yeah mm -hmm. so you didn't go to bread okay. and butter and I ain't gotta talk to you yeah. so, <laughs> really I've been it was I've been <laughs> crazy. It was crazy. 
would you say that fashion is like that in some areas? Like, very quite... Snobby? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I was just exaggerating right now because like, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was just too good if you made it to go mm. there, you know, that. It was like, yeah, yeah. I feel so sorry that you didn't make it, kind of. Yeah, I should yeah, have put it that way, but fashion, <laughs> is, yeah. fashion is not always very inclusive. No. no. It's all, yeah. you know, cocaine and gossip. <laughs> but well, not yeah, all. <laughs> I don't think that's globally representative, Ben. But yeah, yeah. But uh, so what? So he, so you'd spoke about your because I don't see Candiani's fashion. Me, I see no, it more I, as style. I, I, I keep drifting. I keep it's drifting. Style. No, it's all right. I see it more as style. Do you know? Like it's you're making like a heritage product, uh, something that lasts for a long time. I understand there's a fashion aspect of that, which I'm going to come to in a little bit. Uh, so what was it that you know, Mr. Candiani wanted from you at the start? Yeah. What, did, what, what did he see that he needed? So basically at that time, it was 2012, um, Bread and Butter organized a space called uh, the Denim Temple. Okay. And so Carl uh, Heinz Miller was good friends with Alberto Candiani and he said like, hey dude, you know, I give you 200 square meters, but you got to do something cool in it, right? So he called me and said, Right, okay. Hey, can yeah. we do the same thing you did with the sweaters with jeans? Yeah. And I was like, I have no idea, man. I was like, uh, I had designed some denim before, but man, I didn't know anything about denim. Yeah, to be yeah. honest, like, I mean, I can I can say that now because, like, literally I didn't know anything about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, let me try to understand it. So I, uh, I went to see the mill for the first time, mm-hmm. and, um, and I saw the partners we did with LT, which is a laundry in Italy. Yeah. In Verona, San Bonifacio, and we did it with um, Okinawa, which is a um, leather patch and um, accessories manufacturer from Montagnana, also yep. from Veneto region. And so basically, oh, and Gene- Genealogia was part of it as well with the laser, the laser guys. Do you yep. know them? Yeah, 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 yeah they're doing all the, yeah. yeah. And so basically, I um, I tried to put. I, I somehow pulled it off. It was very complicated, but I yeah. pulled it off, and it was like a literally a huge workshop. You could walk in there, you could uh, select the fabric, the style, then uh, the wash, um, the leather patches. You could personalize, you could customize everything in there. The yarns that they would use actually to stitch to the sure I almost was there once when you were there, and I, I couldn't get in. Uh, there were a queue to get in. Is that right? Like yeah, people would queue. Yeah, Am yeah, I right yeah. or wrong? It's uh, there, there was there was definitely. A queue. It works like this. Like every time I did, I did that like seven, eight times. This yeah. Time, right. Okay. This form it became a format actually, mm-hmm. um, because it's just the best way to sense to sensibilize people about what's behind pair of jeans. Because you mm-hmm. see what's you know how the whole thing happens. Mm-hmm. And I'm not being a teacher in that, but I'm putting you in a situation to have fun. Yeah, yeah. Because you're customized. Of mm-hmm. So you give me your attention. You're more, you know, keen to listen to what I'm saying mm-hmm. so I can pass on a message and everything. And so basically, um, when people get there, you're at bread and butter. Don't forget that. It's like walking through Times Square at Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you're bombarded with information, communication, everything. And then you see, like, a huge workshop and you're like, what? That, you know, what's that requires me a lot of effort to understand what's going on in there. Of yeah. course. So that's why I... I told um, these very sexy ladies that were at the entrance to very quickly say, hey, you can make your own jean in here, you know, for, I think it was maybe 80 bucks or 90 bucks, and it was all going into charity, right? Yeah, okay. And uh, so people were like, what, really? So they went in, and then obviously they would do it, and they would come back. 
the day after we would have them back every time you know to make more because they would realize this is this is the my only option, my only opportunity to get my own gene done, right? Yeah, I have I've definitely been when you've been. Like, I remember it. I, I couldn't get in. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't couldn't get, get that in. before. So you've been there? No, yeah, yeah. Ah, so sure. when I was there, I went with a previous job, and we had, it weren't denim, it weren't a denim-related trip, but I obviously had an interest in denim. Uh, so all that I thought was interesting or happening, you know, I tried to just stick my nose in a little bit. Uh, and I saw the workshops and I was like oh I want to go in there but then when I went like there was just a queue and because (laughs) because I had a different job and other responsibilities Mm -hmm. I I couldn't get in I mean in three days of bread and butter I I couldn't go even to pee man yeah I couldn't go take a leak busy weren't it I remember seeing it you were heaving yeah heaving it was amazing and we were just you know like um, I think that's also our strength we're just a bunch of guys you know so we were just um Go up there, you know, empty the truck, just build up the whole stand, you know, and then rock it for three days, mm. you know, making jeans, going out at night, making mm. jeans, going out at night, loading up the truck, driving back, you know, yeah. and then do it again. So yeah, it was like, perfect. it was really, really rock and roll. I have yeah. to say. <laughs> the, uh, it's a shame, bread and butter. It sort of just, yeah. what happened there? What Do you know what, what that actually were? Like you're talking I like a massive, very, it just went, like it's vanished. Mm. It was a massive event, actually. It was the go-to event. Think about Tempelhof. It's a it's a whole airport, and they almost massive. filled the whole airport. Yeah, they'd have know, like Nike. That. They'd have like the biggest brands in the world. Were they like? Yeah, so. it's like. But the point is, actually, they they came up with this format, which was very special because they said, "You get your stand, and you do with it whatever you want." So Diesel one time had, I think, like a three stories stand built in there with pools, swimming pools on the top. Shit. And Renzo like flew in world, with a helicopter and landed on the stand. Yeah. I mean, it was literally, how crazy can you get? Tommy Hilfiger had built a whole mountain and people were skiing down the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> you can't Shit. believe it. Yeah. Like, I mean, at G-Star, I think they, they, they brought a submarine or something <laughs> like that. One time. I do. It was like, how crazy can you get? Measuring dicks. It, yeah. it, it, wow. It, it, it turned out into yeah. that. And I think it put also a lot of pressure on the brands, you know, yeah. like how much, what can we do next? Yeah. <laughs> how much more money do we have to spend, yeah. you know, on that? But like, it was literally like better than any festival you've been to. Wow. Every stand was a huge party yeah. and everybody party together. And after three days of huge party, you would know exactly what was mm. going on in the fashion industry. Okay. Mm. You know, because you've seen so much, you've been in all the stands, yeah. you know, you had access to everyone. It was like really, really great. Yeah, wow. really good. The point is actually that the world changed very, very quickly. You know, uh-huh. actually it was, uh, I don't want to tap into history again, but the point is um, fast fashion brands became actually the big players in the market. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was something that everyone had at a certain point to deal with. You know, all the big guys, the Tommy Hilfiger's, the Calvin Klein's, the Diesel's and the... Uh, and the G-Stars, just to name the ones that I, yeah. that I named before. And uh, so they said, like, dude, I mean, should we still, like, make such a huge investment? Is it paying back or not? Everybody started to look more at the investments they're doing. So bread and butter didn't really fulfill its unique selling purpose anymore that well. Even if they kept the quality of the service, the service is incredible. Like, I think about, like, a huge show they're pulling off in Berlin and in Barcelona. Oh yeah, and you got books. Like when you're thing, you got books. You got books, you got, Extreme. you know, like, I know it sounds like a little thing, but they would, you know, that's an effort and a lot of money. So organized, so crazy. organized, crazy. Like literally crazy. And, like, and the market changed at that point and that's what 
calls bread and butter to bread and butter had to like uh, take a few tough calls being yeah. like all right what should we do should we open up the show also to people who are not b2b also to b2c or mm-hmm. should we um limit it only to people who really belong to this um who are really just buyers the and demographic so a certain point they said like everyone who's not ex- like a buyer directly has to buy to pay 500 bucks to get in Mm-hmm. So people said, like, what the hell, Shit. you know? But then some did, and the year after, they understood that it was not the right direction to walk. So they said, like, you don't need to do it anymore. And so you start shaking, yeah, you know? Yeah, so a lot and of mixed messages. But then, and, and an event's difficult because everything's compressed into a week. Yeah. So you've got to get it right. And then it's a full six or 12 months before you can actually try up next thing. Like, yeah. if you've got a daily job, of you, can make, you can make these decisions and go, fuck, that didn't work. Right, but it's all right. It's Monday again tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we'll try it next That's thing. why exhibitions and trade shows are so tough. Yeah. And the ones that work, work. And the ones that don't, <coughs> yeah. they can go Well, you can't. And you can't. Fade away. It's, it, you, know, you haven't got enough time to play with mm. it. But the big difference is that here, for example, at Munich Fabric Start, we pre- we're presenting fabric to designers, right? Of course. And, uh, and that still works. We're presenting fabrics that will hit the market at, like in two years. Not in one year, two years. Wow. Because the, the brand has to be one year in advance. Right? Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah, yeah, two yeah. years so in So, but so that's is, sorry, Sam. Is that the ultimate objective to Candiani your Candiani's main objective being here? It is definitely. It's there's many objectives like for sure, like presenting the product, showing the product, explaining the product, but also like actually uh, harvesting good relationships. You know, like mm-hmm. you talk about new fabrics but you talk also so how did it go in production everything was okay you have a you know was there a problem okay you figure it out you know okay. there's a lot of things that you do people want to start a marketing campaign you know hey guys you know i think it's really cool what you're doing but i want to talk about it to my consumer i don't know how to do it okay let's sit down let's start a conversation come over to the mill let's work on the plant there's so many things that you get going here right now mm-hmm. but if you are a brand and you do a trade show the big problem of bread and butter and of all the trade shows started when they would present a product a collection that would go into stores as i said before you present it in january goes into mm-hmm. stores in fall right yeah yeah but what happens is that when you present a collection like all the fast fashion retailers that get uh, an insight about yeah, what you present they're doing it in six weeks they have it in store in six weeks or in a couple of weeks so oh, Jesus. let's say you know they started to present everyone there's always like a main item, as we said before, with Titleist Night, you know, that's yeah. how, yeah? Yeah, yeah, It was yeah. maybe the bomber jacket, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or city jacket. Like, yeah. everybody's well, making it in Four or five years ago, it was the bomber jacket, for exactly. definite. Exactly. Yeah. So everyone is showing it the bread and butter, like in leather or in nylon or whatever, or technical or more heritage or whatever. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, at Zara, you have like a worsted jacket, you know, in, in all yeah. these this, uh, options. So yeah. a brand so says, like, why should I do a trade? What, you know, what is wrong? So that was the main problem that started to affect and, and that problem that's really Simon, interesting that problem it is very interesting like take off your corporate hat for now and you, what's your opinion on that like fast fashion and we could come to a trade show see a bomber jacket pair of wide cut jeans and the next thing they're in Topshop H&M what what what's your take it's, on that? It's, it's very simple. I don't need to take off my corporate hat because like it's it's really okay. what, what I believe in and what what we do believe in. Okay. It's like there can be a hundred worsted jackets, right? And most yeah. of them probably are like thirty bucks, so like everybody can buy them. But there's one that's sticking out, you know, and that's like hundred fifty or two hundred fifty bucks or whatever, three or five hundred bucks. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I go there, 
if the guy who's selling it does the same as the fast fashion retailers, which means doesn't give me any explanation of what I'm buying, right? I'm like, dude, I'm never gonna spend 500 bucks for your jacket. I can buy it for 30. But if he explains to me okay. why this is worth 500 bucks, well then, you know, I'm gonna listen and then at the end I'm gonna, you know, make mm -hmm. my choice. Like maybe I don't have 500 bucks to do it, but like at least understand the, the value of it, right? So there's just one sim the very simple way to differentiate yourself today from all the crap that's in the market. Just do something, you know, with more understanding about mm -hmm. it. First of all, you have to understand it. You gotta love it, you gotta understand it, and then you can communicate it. Mm -hmm. And if somebody understands and he might as well buys it. That that's perfect. That's yeah. on point. That Otherwise is like, you just go for the price. You know? Of course, of course. Sure. So um Ben. Time for some questions. Yeah. Uh a few things that we touched on a little bit earlier, Simon, that uh, I wanted to ask a little bit more about, and then I kind of wanted to uh, veer it off on a bit of a selfish angle, where I'm actually going to ask you questions personally, if that's all right. Sure. About work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think I already told you everything about me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a few skeletons. Uh, anyway, the thing is, what I'm interested in is, as a denim mill, because I used to work in vintage clothing, which in that world, as a, when we were wholesaling, we might process 20 ton a week of vintage clothing. It weren't my business, I was just a sales manager uh, for another gentleman, a good friend of mine. And we always wanted to do the cool stuff, but the truth were, 80% of business came from the high street, which is the stuff that you do because that's how, that's what you've got to do. Do you know what I mean? And I wondered at Candiani if you suffer them same sort of battles where your passion might be... I mean, you've got a passion for the company in general. That's not what we're asking. But your passion and Mr. Candiani's passion might be this salvage denim, this really well made more expensive product that you could be really proud of when you put it out, almost like a BMW. <laughs> but the thing is, most people drive a Vauxhall Corsa. So do you have that as well? Do you have a lot of high street companies coming to you? And is that a big part of the Candiani business? And how much of the Candiani business is that? Is it like an 80-20? You know, ah. how they say. So, in simple terms, probably the question is: Do you sometimes have to compromise? I don't your think compromise is the right word. I don't. I know what you're I'm, saying. Yeah. I I'm, don't. I know what you're saying. <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think compromise, like you would never compromise yourself. However, there is a giant top shop market out there that might want to use a Candiani fabric. So, therefore, how does that translate for you? in a marketing slash sales aspect so the point is it, it's quite simple actually the fact we're doing what we're doing the way we're doing it because we're based where we're based yeah so basically we were born in Robecchetto con Induno which is a small town out of outside Milan yeah uh, we started there in 1938 and we're still producing 100% of our product in that little town so yeah. How many employees can I ask? How we're big, roughly so? 700 people. Right, okay. Oh, wow. So yeah. we're, we're talking big time. It's an industry. Yeah. It's an yeah, industry. Okay. We're, we're an oversized artisan, let's say. Yeah. We started as 
it was craftsmanship at the beginning and then it turned into uh, industrial production. So I imagine within the small town that's quite a substantial it is very, you know, very if you important. weren't there that would cause havoc. Of course, in like a I small mean, town. Um, sometimes we make fun of this because we call the Kanyanis the Duke the dukes of the county that. you know no, because like true. they're literally yeah. like uh, taking care of the community they're like a point of reference for everyone yeah. in the area everybody yeah. knows Kanyani everybody okay. it is a factory that has um, very high standards very good salaries so people we have a lot of young people working mm -hmm. at the company like it's still a privilege to work there yeah we have um, out of these 700 people we have 115 people for them it's the first and last job in their life Okay. They start there and they end there. Wow. We have um, over 30 families that are there in the second generation, which okay. means they have like a dad yeah, or a yeah, mom wow. working there. Yeah, and we yeah. have like, I think, 15 families that are in the third generation. There's grandpa, son, and then the grandson working in the same company, amazing. which is amazing. It is amazing because, like, many times people ask me about what is, what is so special about Made in Italy, right? And um, there's a lot you could say, but like in my opinion, like if you look at the company, it is literally the last fairy tale of Made in Italy because the people really care about their job, about mm -hmm. being in there, about the company, about the product. So being there is like being in a family. Like you don't want to get kicked out of family, right? So mm -hmm. that's, that's when they walk the extra mile. They don't want to get kicked out of the company. They don't yeah, want to yeah, disappoint yeah. anyone. They don't yeah. want to, if I would disappoint Mr. Kanyani, it's like I'm actually putting in shade, in bad shade also, my aunt, my cousin, whoever's mm -hmm. working in there, you yeah, know? Yeah. And another thing that is very special at Kanyani is that the family still lives within the premises of the factory. Oh, okay. So when the people, wow. so when you drive into the gates on the right-hand side, you have grandma's house, uh -huh. still, uh, still living there. On the left-hand side, you have Gianluigi's house, where Alberto was also born. Then you have the aunt's house. You have them all there, right? It's <sighs> amazing. So when people go to work at the factory, they don't go to a factory to work. They go to the Kanyani's house to work, you know? So everything yeah, yeah. is spotless, clean all the time. It's like a matter yeah. of respect. It's a different... Shit. The presence of the family is very felt. Even if we're 700 people, the tradition wants that the Kanyani's uh, walk around the mill one time in the morning, around the whole mill, and one time in the evening. So they come in contact with all the shifts. We have four. Sh we work twenty four seven. We have four okay. shifts, right? Yep. So six days a week. Yeah. And um, so every worker still has a personal relationship to the owner of the company. Imagine that. Like today, in other companies, like the owner lives in Monte Carlo and has a general manager running the company in somewhere, you know, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in a country, whatever. Yeah. And then shows up a couple of times, you know, to talk about business. Yeah. So it's a different way of doing this, and that's why I'm saying an oversized artisan because it's still, we say casa, bot casa bottega, which means mm -hmm. house and workshop at the same time. Yeah. It's the same place. It makes it very authentic. It makes it very, very real. Also, you're dealing with everything like all the time. Right. Yeah. And um, would you say that customers, clients buy into that I way would. of thinking? I would. When I got to Kanyani, I they asked me to they asked me actually, they said like, Hey dude, Alberto is a very young owner, right? I mm -hmm. mean that's that's one of the big lucks of Kanyani because uh, the son loves what he's doing right he loves to take over the business he took over the business and he's doing it very well right mm -hmm. but he said like hey dude i'm so busy um uh, that's the guy that i met at the uh, yeah, yeah. place, right <laughs> <laughs> so he said like i'm so busy i cannot do the marketing as well you know like so and 
why don't you do it for me, right? And and I said like, well, dude, I don't know. It's, this is a mill, you know. It's it's great, but like, let me check out what's going on here. And basically, I spent some time with them and I worked with them a little bit, you know. And then I saw that they already had everything it took to be successful. They already had a great product, you know. They have the family that's living in there. It's fourth generation family run business, you know. It's all local. It's all made in Italy. Uh, we have a top quality. We have top customers. And I was like, well, we just need to amplify to tell that story yeah you know just to tell people about that because like it's easy to fall in love with that i'm falling in love with that yeah yeah right? i can feel that now like i i, I want to learn more and this is exactly the reason why we have these podcasts that's because awesome as much as it's for everyone else it's for us as well then yeah yeah 100 and i can feel that and i hope people who are listening can actually feel that passion coming through because we have this conversation about quality sustainability um, proper heritage and what I wanted to ask is I know there is all this heritage and history is, would you say that there's a, a balance between looking backwards as well as looking forwards or what, what, what what's next for the company is what I'm saying I think that the uh, the success of Kanyani is also due to the fact that the Kanyanis have always been very visionary and always very forward thinking. Mm -hmm. They look okay. always at the future, at the future, at the future, the future. They invested like so much every time. They said like, yeah, we're going to make some money later on. Now let's invest. Let's get this new technology. There's a new way of doing it. Let's do it in a new way, whatever, you know. And that actually made them it's successful. Driven by success. Exactly. Success equals financial gain. So, yeah, you know, it, yeah, you yeah, know, if you think actually, about it that way around, it's that's how it works. But it was like a very genuine way of being successful, yeah. you know, yeah, because of course, it was passion yeah. was like, actually, that's what we're good at doing. You yeah, know? Like, yeah, yeah. And then we want to know more about it. We do it better. You know, we want to actually, um, you know, try to offer the same aesthetics, but like with the half amount of water, for example, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Using the half amount of water. So these are challenges that on an industrial scale. Are and now you, you can make a gene with no water. Exactly. I saw that at exactly. Kingpins, a full gene, every it, every aspect of the genes, fully recycled, no water, no waste, no... That is true. We're, we're still... Some things are more in an experimenting phase yep. still, mm -hmm. right? Yep. But it's good to see that it's possible. Guys, it's the same thing with the electric car. Like, I mean, when of I course. was a kid, it was like, oh, we could have an electric car, but we don't. Yeah. And now it's slowly starting to happen 20 yeah. years later you know yeah, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. Exactly. so it's obviously there's an industry industry that is uh, based on certain business models and yeah. everything but like now we're trying to prove every season that you can do it in a better way and so there is a look at heritage obviously mm -hmm. because like that's what we tap into mm -hmm. saying like that authentic denim look um we have like an archive obviously so that's why i'm gonna make you a deal next podcast we're gonna make it from the mill Cool. Yeah. At Sounds good to All me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we'll we, film that as well. Yeah, yeah. We could, why don't we do a documentary on that? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. We can do that. Be my guest, really. Year. I mean, it's uh, it is quite an experience actually to see mm -hmm. all that in real life at the end of the day because I'm just using words right now, but it's fascinating like how we have um, we see where we're coming from, and then how we can update that with the latest technology. Yeah. Right. So it's always like a combination between heritage and innovation. We call it like um, retro future, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's something we base like our work on. There's two concepts, like retro future and less is more. That's what mm -hmm. we work on. So we need to have identity <coughs> yeah. in the product always. 
and we need to do it in the best way possible. So to bring it back to what we were just speaking about before, how does that translate to a high street customer? Yeah. How do you deal mm-hmm. with that? Like, because when you say high street, there, you, you, you name a couple of examples. Uh, so I would. Well, in, do you mean like H and M, Top Shop, oh fast fashion retailers? Yes. Okay. Do they, do these people come to you? And when they do, how do you deal with that? Basically, you know, the point is actually we're not gonna be able. I started talking about Italy, talking about um, the people and everything to say that there is a cost to make things in Italy, right? Mm-hmm. Furthermore, we're based in a nature reserve park. So we mm-hmm. are making denim. We have mm-hmm. a denim industry in a nature reserve park, which is something you can't find anywhere else in the denim yeah, industry. Yeah. That comes with very high cost investments to make things in a certain way. Labor cost is very yeah. high and everything. Yeah, yeah. So so it just we, doesn't work for them guys. And we're, no. we're not able to make discounts for an H&M. We cannot okay. say like, okay, we give you that fabric for less because like you're getting more of that. Okay. Because like literally that means that we're going to shut Good. down. Like, you know, yeah. you know. That's all, that's all <laughs> we, we can't yeah, afford, that's what we can't yeah. afford that. Like, I mean, it is a choice of um, H&M, Zara, Whoever, if they say like, hey, you know, we should actually make, you know, part of her collection a little bit better and maybe lower our margin on that because they're direct retailers so they could actually afford to do something like that. And mm-hmm. that's make that with, with Kenyani. Well, we, you know, if you of want course. to buy the fabric, you can buy the fabric. Yeah. So the, if you so want to advertise Kenyani and all that, it's a different pair of shoes because okay. like a lot of people started actually to... Um, we have been lately like we're considered the the cherry on the cake yeah. Right? yeah yeah because like we're the nicer part of the collection the more expensive part of the collection whatever and um and then as i told you before we have some branding tools that we we offer clients to communicate that they're using actual fabric but now we started to say um we offer you these tools if there is a consistency in what you're doing because if you're doing a million garments and a thousand of these garments are made with Kanyani and then you make a whole campaign around like, oh, we're making okay. the yeah, jeans with yeah, Kanyani, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, so yeah, quality yeah. driven and everything, that's not, work. That's yeah. not cool, Yeah. right? Okay. So we're saying like, you're not getting anything of that. Yeah. But if you're committing actually to like open up that range and to invest more into it because you want to actually make a better product, well then yeah. we can talk about it, yeah, you know, yeah, so. Yeah. Perfect. In this like last five to six years, you know, we, we kind of build a little bit of a strength also yeah. with our communication tools and branding tools like we can support you if you are honestly committed also to making it better yeah okay mm. so yeah, really again so never compromising for a quick book no the point is also that sorry if i interrupt you no no um because i know there, there's actually a lot to say to your question like still before that you asked um we are developing fabrics two years in advance right so Actually, our choices drive a lot the market, right? Of course. Then it's true that if we come up with a um, with a certain article and it's very successful, and we're showing it here, for example, and if you come take a look at our stand, you will yeah. see some people who are not clients that come in, take pictures and whatever, you know. <laughs> and uh, but it's no longer a secret. Like I even have clients, I even have competitors that tell me like, "Hey, how do you do this?" Because like your client is asking me to do the same fabric for half of the price, you know? Can you help him out? <laughs> you're like, uh, Jesus, I can't what, really. Uh, yeah, what are you going to do with that? It, well, it's, it's not the same product, is it? There is like, there is a uh, crazy fast industry on one side, mm-hmm. okay, which is all about price, it's all about delivery, it's all about quick, quick, quick volumes and everything. 
And there's another industry that is getting clearer and clearer, which is about quality. It's about how it is made, where I deliver also the whole story with it. The story we're talking about, the people that are behind the product, yes. where yeah, it's yeah. made, how it's made. And that's like, uh, let's say more the social aspect, because then there's the whole technological and innovation and investment aspect. Like when we talk about machinery, we talk about ingredients, like patents and all that mm. stuff, which make it uh, um, in, in terms of numbers, a better product. Like there is like literally 65% um, less water in this meter of gene than in a conventional one. Mm -hmm. So, and we can prove all that. So today it's, it's a moment where we have enough ways to prove that you can do it already better. Mm -hmm. Then now the choice is in the brand's hands. I say, now that you know, you choose if you want to go mm. for that way or for that way. So, okay. So that's, I really wanted to ask that question and that were a really good answer. Thank you, uh, Simon. What I'm going to say next is I'm a young brand. So we've got a store in Sheffield, we've built it up. Uh, store's eight month old, but the whole clobber cam thing's three years old, if you like. Uh, we've, I am now wearing my first pair of jeans. Wow. Which is a, an official clobber cam jean. This will be released in October. Wow, so it, congratulations on yeah, that. Thanks, I've done it with a small uh, manufacturer in the UK, a very experienced guy, so I knew that I got the, the build quality perfect, so then I can move that onto a factory in the UK. We'll let Simon take a look at that and judge that. Yeah, yeah no, that's fine. <laughs> this is, uh, Simon will like this denim, I'm, I'm almost sure. Uh, but I haven't got a supplier of denim. So right. when I do my first 24 pairs, which is all it is in October, that's it, because that's all one guy can make for me. Okay. For them, okay. I've then got to find a supply, a sustainable so supply. Do you, do you want to personally come get it? This is, <laughs> well, the point is, how do I go about doing that with Candiani? Well, uh, is it easy for me to do? Do I have to order 500 meters? So therefore, you know, since we've really done this difficult. podcast, you can do it. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now, now we're buddies. Now, yeah, buddies. <laughs> I have, I have to, this, you're actually touching like a very uh, important aspect uh, we need to discuss because. And it's very genuine. Like yeah. I'm, I'm actually talking to you seriously here. You yeah, know, no, like no, I'm no, no, I, I feel you. I'm off somebody, so. What, what happened? Um, Earlier we talked about Gianluigi, sort of invented stretch denim, okay, came up with that. Big success um, mm -hmm. in the sense that all the premium denim brands in LA that started right in that moment would use Kenyani fabrics, right? Mm -hmm. Seven for a Mankind, um, J Brand, Guess, like all those guys, everybody used Kenyani, right? That's mm -hmm. why we're still having like a really, really good business in the States and we have uh, another headquarter in LA. Yeah, okay. and. Um, so we were actually used to uh, at that point you know there weren't that many qualities so you had you know folk you could focus make more meters on one quality and everything and so we were used to work on bigger quantities right mm -hmm. obviously as an industrial production means that the more you produce of the same fabric the better you can make that fabric mm -hmm. because you have consistency in production mm -hmm. right if i have to uh, make let's say in a week in a week, I make one fabric, just one fabric, I produce one fabric, I can make it super perfectly. Mm -hmm. If I have to produce seven different fabrics, obviously like you have to change the machine, change the settings and everything that you have waste 
um, and all that kind of stuff, right? So the efficiency is very low. So we're talking about you creating specific fabrics for specific customers now then? Um, we do have that as well. We have, when we have a very uh, strong relationship with a brand, we make customized customer, developments. Yeah, I was just thinking about your, your core fabrics. I was just thinking about your core fabric, your core denims that you produce. We have some core denims that we have, we say, up and running, yeah. which is easier to tap in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it means you don't have uh, minimums and that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Which is many times limiting for smaller brands. Okay. Yeah. Smaller brands started to, um, to request, the more we created the brand around Kanyani, the more like smaller brands said, like, hey, can I have some of that, right? But we were not structured actually to, to follow up smaller requests. Because of course. There's a very simple explanation for that. The people in our office, um, the time it takes them to follow up a request of, let's say, 50,000 meters or 500 meters is the same amount of time, right? That's why we have always prioritized, you know, uh, the bigger orders. Of course. But Naturally. now we started to say, hey, there's a couple guys out there that are doing a good job. You know, they're really believing it and they're, you know, probably worth to, to support. Right. And we're doing we started doing that with smaller brands. Obviously, we have to be good at picking. We cannot do it with everyone. Right. But we picked a few guys, you know, who are doing a great job and we support them with one of these guys. Uh, you probably know Benzak Denim Developers. Love mm -hmm. him. Yeah, Leonard. Right with guy. Leonard, we're going to do a small event yeah, as well at um, Kingpings like yeah, coming yeah. up actually yeah, in October. Yeah. Like yeah, uh, awesome. we made a customized salvage for him yep. it's like uh, on one side it's blue on the other side it's orange so it's okay. like Italy yeah, and yeah, Holland yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. and um, so basically um, we do we do support we, we want to more and more like support people who really cool. take it seriously you know and, and want to do something cool so, with I, it. so I can approach you and talk about buying denim and, and the Club Account brand being made from Candiani yeah because I I personally this is you know just on a personal note here would be a pleasure. I love the whole American and Japanese thing, but I, I'm more into keeping it European and then the manufacture UK. Do you know, like that, I'm a lot more, I'd, I'm, I'd be a lot more happy if I could do that. In do Italian, know, like, we say, sfondi una porta aperta, which means like, this is right up my alley, man. Mm. Can you say that, Ben? Uh, this is right up my alley, man. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Got that uh, one. But yeah, I mean, to be honest, on that, it would be amazing to follow this up because we could talk all night. Yeah. And we wouldn't be able to get all the information that we need to stick in. We're not going to be able to show people the visuals. But if, if we could I actually think talk, if we can come along, well, we can talk off, it, off air. Yeah. Tell the story. But I think that we come along. I think we see the mill. Yeah. Uh, we bring our videographer. Josh. Uh, we do a documentary, and then potentially there could be some talks about hooking up and working together. Well, the, the thing is, uh, well, it, it's inevitable I'm going to be spending some money with some mill. It's, it's happening no matter what. It's got what, to happen. But I haven't got a mill. Good. So, do you get what I mean? So it's like, this what, what is, I like this to is do, actually, and this is something that I, I did not uh, finish saying before. Uh, when I realized we do have the whole story, we have everything in house, I started to say to people, come visit us, come see it. All right. And once you come see it, I want you to understand where you're buying from, who you're buying from and what you're buying, yeah. how it's made. And once you have that understanding, you will see it's worth the money you're spending. You know? mm -hmm. So and you and you create your product differently. Like you have the story, you, you tell it differently. It's like an experience that you live that you bring into your product. So this yeah. is what 
I'm offering you and I would love you to accept that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that for definite. Perfect. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, We'll talk a bit more about that when we're not on air then. But we definitely need to uh, wrap up now, guys. One last question. No, last question. Our, our listeners, and there's thousands of them, will now want to buy some Candiani denim. <laughs> yeah. So that, can that's, you, that's a question that, that I didn't that, want that, to ask, actually. That does is happen. That like not a, uh, is right. that like... Do, do you openly say, yeah, we supply that, 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 This is that, my next that. question. Or Where, what, it, what brands can they look at... Uh, you know, oh. that publicly advertised that okay, you were uh, supplying their denim and then they could look into that online and, and possibly we, purchase We have some. never really done that in the sense we never really, like, listed the the name of the brands, like, on our website or something okay. like that. Because, like, usually we find the people who who need an identity or need credibility, they do that. Okay. You know? And if you yeah, look yeah. for manufacturers in Far East, like everyone has worked for Armani or Dior once, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, does that mean you're good? You know, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it's also true that we started offering labels to stitch into the garments. Yeah. So there are a lot of garments what, in the what market. What brands can we do with that? Yeah. Just, exactly. Obviously, we know Benzac now. Benzac, we know Leonard. That's brilliant. Like Jason Denham, for example. Jason Denham. Like he uses Kanyani. Am I right in thinking everything. he dust? Um, not sure about that. Uh, I think I think uh, I might have. I'll look into that as well. Because I don't know <laughs> exactly. I, like, like, I don't no know idea. all the brands we're supplying yeah. right now. Because obviously we have guys yeah, taking yeah, yeah, care of, of, course. of yeah, different yeah, clients. Yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. like I mean, it's there's definitely like a way to uh, to recognize it. It's like we yeah. have um, you can have a hang tag on the jean. Yeah. Says Kanyani made with Kanyani fabric, or you can have like a woven label stitched into the jean. Yeah. There's one more thing that I wanted to tell actually your listeners is that. Um, on the 8th of October, we are organizing for the first time an open mill day. Yes. This is for the sake of transparency. Like we actually launched this initiative on, in April at the Transformers event at Kingpings, where it was all about sustainability. We said, you know what, guys, you want to know about sustainability? Just come and see what we're doing. We have no uh, problem in opening up our doors. There's mm-hmm. nothing to hide. You can check it out. And we're going to do a, a Can general public come to that? The general yep. public can come. I mean, we're trying to limit it to uh, not having competitors over stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, can, of course. <clears throat> but if there is like a, a denim hat that has a genuine interest in coming to visit and see a denim mill, how denim is made, understand what it means. Also, when we're talking about sustainability, he's more than welcome. What's a good way for them to maybe? Sh- there's an email that they can apply to. Okay. Actually, which is. Which is, I'm telling you, everything's live. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna give you my one. <laughs> this is proof that this is not stage. Because I'm thinking, shit. What's the email? No, no there, is, there is an email. There is. I just, I just didn't want to give you my one. So it's like, it's like M. Kelly. So it's M K E double L E Y. Okay. Mary Kate. Yeah. Uh, we met on the stand earlier. Right, Mary yeah. Kelly, Kelly uh, yeah. at candianidenim.it. And just to wrap it up, uh, Simon, what can people expect? Because if somebody's going to travel, obviously from the UK or going to travel from Holland or Germany or whatever, uh, what can they expect from that? Uh, you know, well, what very getting? briefly, it's going to work like that. The only thing you need to do is actually to buy your ticket to Malpensa Airport. Yeah, and then we do the pickup. Oh wow! And we take care of you, and then we drop you off at Malpensa Airport again, which is, is 10 it a day? Drive. Is it a day? It's a whole day. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So basically, there's a first part in the morning. We're gonna all be sitting in the cotton warehouse, and we're gonna get a little bit of denim history. We're gonna get a little bit of the production process, how yeah. it actually works. 
we're going to have a little bit of a talk about like what are the main questions that you guys have. Yeah. Because probably there are some people from the store that say like, hey, you know, people ask me this, you know, what about mm -hmm. that? Cool. So we're going to mm -hmm. address all these questions. We're going to have a, um, and then we're going to tour the production. So we're going to tour all the four departments and we're going to explain not just like how we make denim in those departments, but also like why, why we have a specific done. process yeah. that makes it in a better way. And this yeah. is mm -hmm. illustrated with infographics at every station. Yeah. So it wants to be very clear and visual and easy to understand. Like yes, it's actually made course. for an audience that is not an expert, like yeah. in technically an, an expert. An enthusiast. An enthusiast. And it also includes like a nice lunch and drinks um, at the pool house in the of company. Of course, we're in Italy. Because as I said, the family lives in the company, <laughs> so the course. pool house is at yeah, the company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's brilliant. Then we've got all that information. We'll mention that on another couple of podcasts as well. Awesome. Thank you. Before mm -hmm. we, uh, before you know, hopefully we can get a few more people involved. And I literally could talk all night, me, but we've got to go. I, well, I know. I really could, Sam. It's been, this, I don't know <laughs> if it's because much, we're set opposite each other or it's just because you're a dude. So much both. Yeah. But maybe, it is yeah. so much better speaking to somebody I just, in person as well. Totally. I yeah. had such a good time. I totally forgot that I should be working at the stand. <laughs> well, we're now approaching. You should be cooking that lasagna we're going to come and get. <laughs> we are now approaching. One hour and 34 minutes. 34 minutes. I can't believe Which is exactly podcast. what we told you on this Which stand. is amazing because <laughs> what will happen right now is that the intro is going to come on. Mm -hmm. Outro. Ooh. There's the outro. Nice. Nah, That's <laughs> never happened before. Ever. I didn't even touch it. <laughs> That's the <a> outro. <laughs> awesome. Brilliant. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, Simon. Uh, we'll Thank catch you very much, in about guys. Two minutes for a beer. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up now. Around. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Lovely. Thank you Take very care. much. Been a pleasure.